The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, you say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, do not bother me, the door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Search and you will find. Knock, the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel that we heard Lois read for us today comes from the 11th chapter of Luke, um, and it is the point in the gospels where the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer, at least one version of it. There's a slightly longer version that appears uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. It will not come as a surprise to you then that uh, this morning I want to talk about the Lord's Prayer. And I have a few reflections about the prayer itself, uh, some, in my opinion anyway, interesting facts about it. And then I want to say a few words about prayer more broadly, more generally, both as it related to Jesus and it relate, as it relates to us. For me, the Lord's Prayer um, is deeply meaningful and powerful, not only because Jesus gave it to us, he taught it to us, but also because for 2,000 years now, every Christian who has ever lived has recited it, probably thousands of times, no matter where they have lived in the world, no matter their particular Christian tradition. It's one of the things that unites us uh, as Christians in time and space. And I find that incredibly uh, powerful as an affirmation of our unity uh, as all of us as part of the body of Christ. Uh, I'm also struck um, 
by the constancy of the prayer uh, in the translations we use. Of course, Jesus taught the prayer to his disciples in a language known as Aramaic, um, and we pray the prayer here in English. Uh, there have been precious few translations of the Lord's Prayer in English. Uh, the first was in 650. Another famous one was done in 1662, um, which I'm going to read to you. Again, this is 300 and what? 60 some 70 years after or before our, our time and here's how it sounds we could put it in our bulletin today and uh, you might not even notice or maybe you would and maybe I would hear about it um, but here's how it goes our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I mean, it's almost identical, I think, to the, what we, we would call the traditional translation of the Lord's Prayer, which was translated in 1928, and then the contemporary version of the Lord's Prayer was translated in 1988. But that's only, you know, 650, the 1600s, um, early 1900s, and late 1900s. A an amazing consistency. Another interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer is that it, because it is very typically one of the very first things translated, at least historically, when Christians would go out into the world, it very quickly became a sort of opportunity for linguists to study different languages. So in the 1500s, collections were started uh, to, to made of the Lord's Prayer in a variety of languages to compare those languages. In the 1500s, the number of languages was about 22 that was in that collection. By the 1800s, it was well over 500 languages and dialects. I, I, it's an interesting study in the history of, of, of language studies itself. Um, before the invention of clocks and watches, uh, there were times when people needed to have at least some general sense of, of length of time, including when you would cook. So believe it or not, in old recipes, you can find uh, lines like, simmer for three Lord's prayers. Isn't that interesting? Because it was so widely known, Everyone knew the Lord's Prayer, and it was a, a pretty consistent uh, length of time, so it would give people at least a, a good idea of, you know, however long something needed to be simmered or baked. I hope it didn't ever say, you know, bake for 500 Lord's Prayers. That would get uh, kind of old. And the last thing I'll say about the Lord's Prayer, sort of in, in my opinion anyway, sort of an interesting fact about it, it will not surprise you that the Lord's Prayer has been set to all kinds of music by all kinds of very famous composers. I could name them and you would recognize their names. Until this week, I did not know though, maybe some of you did know this, um, that the Beach Boys actually recorded an a cappella version of the Lord's Prayer. Is anyone aware of that? Any Beach Boy fans here? Um, it's actually the B-side of a single which was Little Saint Nick. You all know that song? Some of you? Uh, I actually, I didn't, I hadn't listened to it last night and I asked the congregation if I should know it and they're like, yeah, you should know that. Um, I did listen to it this morning and turns out I do know it. However, it's hard to find a recording of the Lord's Prayer by them. It may not have been their uh, biggest top chart charting thing. Um, anyway, so a few interesting facts about the Lord's Prayer. Now, some thoughts about um, prayer generally. Again, we get the prayer because the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us 
how to pray. I actually don't think what they were saying is, Jesus, give us some words that we can repeat. Now, he gave those words to them, and they are our inheritance as well, and we're grateful for them. But I think what the disciples were asking him was a question related to their observation of how he lived. It is very clear in the Gospels that Jesus went out and prayed a lot. All the time we're reading about it, and Jesus went off to pray. And the disciples recognized this deep intimacy that Jesus had with God the Father, and they also recognized a, a, a deep, I'll call it congruence, between Jesus' prayer life and his way of thinking and his way of speaking and the way he acted. And that kind of integrity, that congruence in someone's life is incredibly attractive. And I think the disciples were saying to Jesus, we noticed you're going off and praying all the time. We'd like some of that as well. Can you teach us what that's all about? Church picnic, great. Uh, anyway, um, in, a, in a contemporary version of that, not with Jesus, of course, but with Mother Teresa, we've actually framed up next year's Faith and Life series, which we'll be announcing uh, in the next few weeks. The very first speaker of, that, of the series is a gentleman named Chris Hoyerts, who, uh, is, when he was younger, he studied with Mother Teresa. Uh, he's actually going to be interviewed for our quarterly magazine. We've already done that interview. Um, and one of the questions I asked him is, you studied with Mother Teresa, what was that like? What did you learn from her? And what he said is, you know, it's not like it was anything specific she taught me. It's not like she told me one, you know, pearl of wisdom or left me with one quotation. It was more observing everything about her life. You know, the way, again, there was this integrity, this coherence between her prayer life and the way she operated, and the way she thought, and the way she acted, which again, was very attractive. Just as Jesus' coherence of his life was attractive to his disciples. And I think all of us, still Jesus' disciples today, are, are attracted to that kind of integrity, and I think we deeply, deeply need, oh boys, am I gonna be able to speak over this? Maybe this is a message. Um, the architect of this place, you may not know this, but we don't have a lot of windows, but the architect wanted to be able to bring uh, the outside in when it rained, and he accomplished his purposes. Um, prayer has always been difficult, I think, uh, for every time and place, but I would argue that it is particularly difficult in our time and place uh, because, this is appropriate, we live in a world, and you can challenge me on this, I don't think you will, that is incredibly noisy, and busy, and frenetic. Would you agree with that? Can I get an amen to that? And in the Bible, we're reminded again and again that Jesus does, or God does not come to us and grab us by the lapels and shake us and say, listen to me, I've got something to tell you. Instead, what does God do? God comes to us in the, in the what? The silence. That's maybe a little too much. We've got someone turning me up about over there. Um, in the silence, in the stillness, in the quiet. And one of the challenges for us as Christians, man, <laughs> is to find that kind of silence. I, I say this, by the way, on a weekend that Pastor Valerie is out um, doing a prayer retreat at St. John's. 
but I would encourage you in the weeks and months and years ahead, look for opportunities for that kind of quiet, that kind of stillness, that kind of silence to allow God not only to hear what you are saying, but also to listen to God's uh, still, small voice. One final uh, comment about prayer, which is kind of a caution. Um, I do think that it's easy for us, uh, particularly maybe in our time and place, to turn prayer into some kind of transactional thing where we say, well, I decide what I want, I ask God for what I want, and then God gives it to me. And if God, like silence, for example, and if God doesn't give it to me, it must mean something is wrong with me uh, or that God doesn't love me. And I just want to offer a very strong caution against that. Uh, this is deep weeds, and we could talk a long time about the mystery of prayer, but that approach to prayer misses a few things. One, it assumes that we know ourselves what we need, and I do not think that that is actually usually true. Uh, it also it, it, it turns God into some kind of divine vending machine who exists only to fulfill our needs. And equally challenging, as I already mentioned, if, if God does not, in our opinion, respond to our prayers, then we think, oh, well, God doesn't love us. Or sort of is corollary to that if we look around and say, well, God seems to be answering prayers of everyone else, but not me. God must love those other people more than God loves me. You with me on that? Does that make sense? So here is the corrective to that way of thinking. It doesn't explain all of the mystery of prayer, certainly, but the corrective to that way of thinking is simply this. Look at Jesus. I mentioned before, he goes off and prays all the time. And we know what some of those prayers were, including one very specific prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Does anyone remember what that prayer was? That's right. Lord, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I am scared. I'm afraid. I feel all alone. I don't want to do this. Please, find another way. Now, does God answer Jesus' prayer in the way that Jesus asks it? No. Would you say, therefore, that God doesn't love Jesus, those of us who gather here to call Jesus the Son of God and our Lord and Savior? No. So I say this with all charity and compassion. I do not say this at all flipply. But part of what we take from that is that if you perceive that God is not answering your prayers, know that you are in very good company. So a few reflections about the Lord's Prayer, about prayer more broadly. I do pray for each of you that you might find some time to be still and silence, uh, and, and silent and quiet enough, not only to speak to God, but also to hear from God how deeply God loves you. Will you join me now in a word of prayer? Good and gracious God, you do invite us into relationship with you, and you call us to pray. We pray this morning that you will give us the courage and the strength to lay at your cross everything that is on our hearts, our joys, our sorrows, our worries, our concerns, our fears, and also give us the silence and the space and the ears to hear how you respond. And all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.